Get 15% off the fullest entire product line with code the fullest podcast at checkout. One of the main ingredients in our product line, saffron, has been proven over and over again in clinical double blind placebo trials to be an effective form of treatment for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years for these purposes, and now the research is here to finally back it up, proving that plant medicines and ancient healing practices can actually be an effective alternative to pharmaceuticals. From caffeine-free latte powders to saffron baths and capsules, there's something for any modern woman looking for ancient healing. Again, that's code the fullest podcast at checkout for 15% off. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. Hi everyone, welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Tommy Rosen. Tommy is an internationally renowned yoga teacher, meditation instructor, and addiction recovery expert with over 30 years of continuous recovery from addiction. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Nikki. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited to connect with you. My mother-in-law is such a huge fan and I've been um, just so inspired by her journey and I learned about you through her and I, I love what you're doing. I deeply resonate with your approach and I'm just so excited to learn more and share with our audience. Mm, thanks about everything and thanks to your mother-in-law that's incredible <laughs> yeah i'm excited for her and her journey and 30 years sober is a very long time and you look young so i'm curious how old were you uh, well i'm 56 years old and i was a young i was a young boy uh i first got sober the first time i ever tried to get sober i was 22. wow i stayed sober for one year i had gone off to treatment uh, at Hazelden. I stayed sober for one year. And then I was relapsing sort of in and out for one year. And when I was 24, just a little after my 24th birthday, I got sober on June 23rd, 1991. And that was the last time. And you were, I don't think you were here on this planet at that time. <laughs> I was just, I had just turned one. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. So, I mean, congratulations to you and not just for your personal journey, but also um, what you've, you know, created and brought to others. I, I think a lot of times, like I question, you know, the current mainstream path towards recovery. Um, I, in terms of just like treatment centers that maybe um, swap one medication for another, one drug for another. And I've always just had you know, I've always questioned, like, how does that work? And I've had family members that have gone through rehab that unfortunately are no longer with us today. And I, I always just thought there must be something deeper. And when Corinne told me about you, I was just so inspired because um, she's kind of taken that on for her journey and it's been so beautiful. But I also, um, I was diving into your book and you do mention how recovery and the 12 step program, they do work on this level um, for a lot of people for certain reasons. So I'd love for you, I know that your program refers to things in a different way, like the frequency of addiction and, and you have different language and 
different steps in a way maybe where like you don't use the word God and stuff like that. So I'm, I'd love for you to share with us on like a high level. Tell us a little bit about Recovery 2.0, your program and like the difference between the current um, paradigm that's out there. Yes. Well, uh, thank you, Nikki. And uh, you should be concerned uh, about the current uh, approach to addiction and recovery in the United States in particular, but in the world. And the reason you should be concerned is because to an extent it has now fallen under this umbrella of sort of medicine, uh, medicine in the Western sense of that, the American Medical Association, medicine in the sense of we treat uh, the symptoms of disease rather than getting down to the causes and conditions. The way we treat the symptoms of disease primarily are with drugs and surgery. With regards to addiction, of course, we're talking about an, a massive exploration into how can we treat the problem of addiction with medication. Now, you hear me say this and, I, and say you should be concerned and you might think I'm completely anti-medication. I am not anti-medication. I see that there's a, a use for it here and there. But to base a person's approach to recovery from addiction on medication, I think is a terrible, terrible mistake. And I think that what we, what we tend to do as a society, this is not gonna be news to anybody, we over-prescribe medication, we over-rely on medication, and we miss the human being in our treatment. And the human being is one part spiritual. That's, that, those are all the parts of us that we can't see, our, our emotions and our heart and our desire to connect, our desire to feel and to share love, our desire for purpose in the world and meaning in the world, our desire for health and wellness, all of these longings to connect. It's not even necessarily connect with God, although that could be, if that's your thing, I'm all for it. That's amazing. But we cannot ignore the spiritual aspect of the human being in our approach to recovery. We also must address the mental, the mind piece of this thing, the emotional energetic piece of this thing, the physical piece of this thing as well. So if there's any one way I could describe Recovery 2.0, it would be to say, we're really working with human beings and we're working with the entire human being. And when I say med I'm not anti-medication, I'll give you a very specific example. We're in the middle of an opioid epidemic. These are the painkillers, right? So the Oxycontins, the Percocets, the Vicodin, the heroin, the fentanyl, all of those coming from the poppy plant. Those are very, very strong painkillers that are very highly physically addictive, emotionally also, spiritually also. And this class of drugs um, creates a very strong dependency physical dependency. So if you try to get off of those drugs, it's unbelievably painful. Painful like you have the, uh, the most severe flu you can imagine for a week or 10 days, that you have to throw up, that you can't go to the bathroom regularly, that uh, you can't really eat, that you're in pain and shaking and there's like a pain through your body, not just physical, 
but also a terrible emotional pain. And this withdrawal process is so severe that it keeps a lot of people who are addicted to opiates from even trying to quit. They're so scared of it, of going through that first sort of seven to 10 day process and, and kicking that dependency uh, to, those, to that class of drugs. So we came up with a medication some many, many, many years ago called Suboxone as an example. So Suboxone is uh, also an opiate drug, but it behaves in such a way that it can greatly decrease the pain of the detoxification process that I just described. And so why shouldn't a person be put on Suboxone for four days, five days, seven days at the outside to help them through the worst of that period of withdrawal and then wean them off of it. So by 10 days, they're done with it. And this can greatly decrease a person's pain as they go through this horrible process. Okay, somewhere, some point, somebody had the smart idea. You know, if we keep people on Suboxone long-term, like months or a year or years, we notice that they're maybe not gonna relapse. We notice that they won't uh, go into that pool of people who overdose. And neither one of those statistics are scientifically proven. Number one, those, those ideas that people who are put on Suboxone as a whole, that they stay sober uh, and that they don't, um, that they don't uh, ultimately uh, uh, overdose. What we're seeing is that to get off of Suboxone long-term is as painful or worse a detoxification than the opiates you are on in the first place. So I'm not anti-medication. There's a use for medication at certain points at certain times for certain people. Um, and there's certainly stories of people who were put on Suboxone long-term who managed to get off and get sober. And some of those people are very grateful. But the great, great majority of the stories that I hear is this is a nightmare drug to be on long-term. It takes a lot away from your ability to feel, as all opiates do. It takes a lot away from your experience of life. So that's an example where medication-assisted treatment in that sense, in this one example, is a very bad idea, in my opinion. There's a there's hundred variations on this, and so it's not all black and white. But um, we, need, we need to treat addiction with connection. That's talk. That's love and connection between people. That's having a community. That's um, when the time is right, moving the body, sweating it out, getting into better physical shape, building your vitality and immunity. Taking a very, very direct look at our diet is so important. Diet is so key for people in recovery from addiction, as much as it is for everyone, and even more, because people in recovery from addiction, we need to find ease in the mind and body. And if we are eating really poorly, eating for stimulation, eating for sedation, getting addicted to caffeine and sugars, and then we're just going to be in that same frequency of addiction that I speak about and I write about so often. So. This is a little bit about what we do at Recovery 2.0. We, we, 
we heavily lean into yoga, meditation, breath work, because those are effective techniques of healing the body, bringing your mind to calmness, and dealing with a lot of the challenges that we face as human beings. We emphasize morning practice. So you wake up in the morning, most of us are skewed a little bit to the negative, uh, stress, anxiety, worry about the day ahead. We need to break out of that. We need to get onto a mat. We need to move our body. We need to do our breath practices and we need to calm our mind. And then we go out into the world and we go out and we live from a more connected place. And, you know, a grateful addict does not relapse. So ultimately, we want to move people from that fear and that worry and the anxiety. We want to move them into this calmness, into this love, into this connection, and so that they can be grateful people every day and be on, be on a great path. We call it the path of discovery. So beautiful. I'm a huge fan of yoga. I definitely leaned on it in my own journey. Um, when I was like, I, I found it when I was 14. So it's definitely been a big foundation in my life. I used to teach and I love Kundalini. I don't, I didn't teach Kundalini, but I love it. And I know that you incorporate that in your program, but just in general, yeah. Taking care of your body. And one thing to the opioid, um, mention that you made, it's really interesting because it's even just made its way into um, birthing in epidurals and not saying that, again, that's a situation where it's great to have access so that women can decide, but we need to be informed of what is in there. And there's fentanyl in epidurals and it's incredible. It can be incredibly dangerous. And I, with my son, my first child, I was hoping to do an all natural birth. I was in the hospital still though. And I was exhausted. So I ended up going forward and it was part of my journey, but I know that it's, it starts so early because when you do an epidural that like they say that, you know, it doesn't affect the baby, but that directly is creating an imprint for your baby so that later on, if they do go and try opioids, they have this like resonance to it where it almost feels like, I mean, they've done research on this where it almost feels like it fills this void and that imprint I is so dangerous. And I, and they introduced these, like, I don't know if they had fentanyl, you know, in the eighties or whatever, but they introduced this back in a time where we're seeing such an increase in um, the epidemic now. And I, I can't help but think that that's definitely connected. Yes. Well, um, last night, literally last night, I interviewed an extraordinary author named Alison Yarrow. She just came out with her book, Birth Control, The Insidious Power of Men Over, Over Birthing. And it's an incredible book about exactly what you're talking about and women, you know, needing to be given consent, first of all, to, to consent to whatever the treatments are that are, are being done to them. But we got into a full, amazing discussion. I just want you to know about it. Read, pick up this book, Birth Control. It's an amazing yeah. book for, for anybody to read. And Allison did exhaustive research, interviewed 1,300 mothers about their birth stories and wrote about this in this incredible book. And well, yeah, 
there's no question that we begin patterning and conditioning, you know, even in the womb. Mm-hmm. Food that our mothers eat when we're in the womb is going to actually flavor the amniotic fluid that we're swimming around in as fetus. So we're being imprinted and we're being, there's a connection between the mother's chemistry and the, and the baby's chemistry, of course, uh, even in the womb. And then there's the birth experience and then there's early childhood and, and, and all, the, all the things that we get into and that we need to, need to work out. I can't wait to dive into that book. And I went on to have a home birth with my daughter and I'm like, I just, I didn't feel the need whatsoever to have an epidural and it was a mindset shift. And I just feel that, and it was way less painful. So I just think that there, you know, women, there's a sense of empowerment that some women feel to have access to that. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. And I just also, I hundred percent agree with you. Like we need to understand one of the things I love, um, when I was like browsing through your book, I love this. And you were talking just now about, you know, changing your mindset to be one of gratitude. And you said something, um, about your time at Hazelden. Is that how you say it? Yes. And you said, what I could not realize in that moment was that I had hit the jackpot. To be an addict on this planet is a hell I wouldn't wish on anyone, but to find a path of recovery from addiction is an experience I would wish for everyone. That's so beautiful. And I'd love for you to touch a little bit more about that. Thank you. So we're talking about now the issue of humility, openness, willingness, and ability to access a greater bandwidth of information that exists in this universe. And what I mean by, I'm gonna go deep into that. So because I experienced addiction, I was to a certain extent humiliated. I humiliated myself. That is to say, I experienced the pain of humiliation and it humbled me. So you could say it laid me low. I was laid low by addiction. The image I have is I'm laying face down in dirt. And that's where I came to. And because I came to that place, there was an openness and a readiness in my spirit to receive something new, a new idea, a new teaching to receive help. You know, all the most incredible teachings of all the masters say that if you don't have an open mind and you don't have an open heart, no matter how dedicated you are, you won't be able to receive the teaching, the teaching, meaning the spiritual truth And because I got to experience being laid low by addiction, it humbled me and it opened me up to new possibilities that I would never have had if I didn't get onto the path of recovery from addiction. The 12 steps, they do work for the person who works them, for the person who can understand them, for the person who comes to them open and humble and willing 
and who has a good teacher, a good sponsor, as we refer to them in in 12-step rooms. Are the 12 steps for everyone? No. There's nothing that's for everyone, except maybe breathing. Breathing is for everyone. (laughs) But you know, the 12 steps are very, very effective. And you said at the beginning when you introduced me that I don't like to use the word God. I have no problem with the word God, neither for myself nor anyone. It's just that there's so many misunderstandings about that word. And it can get in the way of a person's progress. So we want to we want to help a person understand what we're talking about when we say access a power greater than yourself or like I just said a moment ago, access a greater bandwidth of information that's available to you. So, Nikki, you only know what you know. Me too. I'm limited in my scope to whatever it is that I have access to today. 32 years ago when I got sober, my scope was so narrow, I was like, all I could think of was how am I going to get drugs? I need to get high. Where, who am I going to connect with today to get my needs met? Like this was the total sum total of my thought process and my awareness. That's very, very sad. And that's very, very small. 32 years later, I'm plugging into the most extraordinary energy every day. It's out here. It's in here. It's everywhere. I'm plugging into that energy. I have a mental clarity. I have a desire to engage in the world, which is just epic. It drives me and it it excites me. And I'm so glad to be alive and to be living in the miracle of just life itself. That's the difference. You know, I have access today to a much greater bandwidth of information than I used to. Is there more for me? Yes, of course. Like I said, I'm limited by where I am today. But the effort through yoga and meditation is to expand my awareness and to expand my consciousness and to work on my intellect and to become a wiser, more skillful, more kind, more loving human being. I get to have that kind of conversation today rather than I wonder where I'm going to get high. (laughs) So this is what I mean, you know, and it began there with the 12 steps for me. And it began with humility and openness and and open-mindedness. And the same humility and openness and open-mindedness are required today. That's why I feel like I hit the jackpot and I could step out of the crazy rat race of the way most people live their existence. Yeah. I, that's kind of how I um, interpreted it too, that you were saying kind of, you know, obviously it's a rock bottom and not that you want, you know, others wish that upon others, but, but it's a beautiful, when you approach it the way that you have, it's such a beautiful way to live. And I always think about this too, like, um, you know, as you, get older, I almost feel like for me, I had these like foggy glasses on and every day I get to see a little bit more clearly. And that's how I view myself when I was younger. And, and it's so exciting because I, I look to, um, 
you know, getting older as a way to get wiser because I'm so curious. I want to learn more. I want to expand. I want to learn from all sorts of people, different things and be open to all sorts of theories in life and everything. But um, I do believe that I think about it sometimes people even like, okay, let's take alcohol out of the picture, but let's say it's someone who maybe doesn't treat their body well with food, um, eats out, um, takeout or fast food like every day for many meals. And they have this beautiful on the outside, what most would think is like a beautiful body. And they don't necessarily see that connection to what they're putting in their body. And maybe they feel different, but maybe in our society, um, we value external things and they don't realize you know, maybe what they're doing is harming themselves. I think about that a lot, but someone else, they physically feel bad. Um, maybe they don't feel that they look the way they want. And so they're maybe going to pay more attention to what they eat, start to pay more attention more quickly to what they eat and what they put in their body because they're seeing it firsthand visually. And I think about that, but those two people are probably being affected the same way, right? And their insides maybe, you know, feel the same way. But I think about that a lot where a lot of people are approaching life in a state of numbness. And it's all about what, you know, doing things that have this instant gratification of, you know, not having to fully dive deep into their emotions, into um, how their careers are affecting them, what their relationships are doing to affect them, rather than maybe approach the a relationship and have this framework of communication and whatever it might be that might support it. It's, you know, whatever, that's just the way my partner is. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to go here and do this. And, and that might not be called addiction, but what is that called and how can we um, invite more people to approach life in this beautiful way? And is that what you're, are you mainly passionate about bringing this specifically to recovery, this way of living or, you know, taking it everywhere? And then one more thing, I know that was a lot to unpack, but I want to kind of compare it to maybe an ashram. You kind of mentioned maybe um, just taking a couple yoga classes isn't going to get someone sober. So like 12 steps is a great structure. But maybe if you went to an ashram, you had that sense of community. I'm curious, in other countries, do they see this? Like, what's that situation like with this approach to life, with this path to recovery? There's a lot there. But. So what you're speaking about, you know, what's coming through for me is this idea of consciousness itself being awake, awake to your decisions, awake to the effects or consequences of your decisions. So cause and effect, we can, we have the ability as human beings to look, to think back through time. We might say, uh, I'm in pain today. Uh, I feel, uh, you know, what, what do people struggle with? I, I have a bad lower back, you know, I'm in pain. We might say, well, how did this happen? Now, some people might not. They might say, oh, I'm in pain. I want to get out of pain. Let me go to the doctor and take some painkillers. 
oh, that worked. I'm out of pain temporarily. Not aware of the consequences of that. Also not aware of what led to the condition in the first place, which is a wonderful inquiry to be in if you're in any kind of pain. So back to the the blessing of being somebody who has experienced addiction is everyone who's reached a bottom has been able to admit to themselves, I'm in so much pain that I can't continue to live this way. And so pain is a motivator there for change, right? So pain will become, as my teacher would say in his language, a currency for transformation. That you pay that price to become awake, to start to investigate, well, how am I supposed to live in this world? Then you investigate more deeply, not just physical experiences in this body, but also how am I breathing? How's my breath? There's a connection between the breath and the mind. How's my mind? Am I super erratic? How how am I feeling emotionally? Depressed, anxious, stressed, like most people these days? Where is that coming from? This is a very, very good question to ask. So that brings us down a road of awareness, a road of greater consciousness. We start to expose ourselves to different theories, modalities of healing, perspectives. We try some things. We have success in moving ourselves to uh, a greater sense of ease in the body. Maybe we had um, something that was incredibly painful and we treated it in some way holistically to try to like get right down to the symptoms and it went away. And so that was a very empowering experience to have. I'll give you an example for me in my life, very specific. Um, I used to get strep throat all the time as a kid. That was one of my things. The, the throat would become so painful, you couldn't swallow. And you'd, you'd be sick and out for like five to seven days. And the thing about strep throat was, as a child, I was always told, you know, antibiotics, antibiotics, antibiotics. So I took antibiotics through my entire childhood, literally, like an unbelievable amount of drugs. What we now know is that antibiotics negatively impact the balance in your gut biome, which is so critically important to your health, your immunity, your vitality. Now, even before I knew what I just said to you, there came a moment in my early 20s when I got strep throat and I had exposed myself to some new ideas. And one of those ideas had to do with the power of oregano oil in treating certain bacterias and certain conditions in the body. And someone suggested to me at a holistic pharmacy, dilute just a couple, two or three drops of pure oregano oil, dilute it in a large glass of water, stir it up, and then um, gargle with it and drink it. 
And I did that three days in a row, no antibiotics, and the condition went away. And that was like my first experience of plant-based, holistic, <laughs> you know, medicine where I took my own health into my own hands. I learned something. I went with nature, a natural, uh, er, uh, a natural um, plant distilled down into a very powerful oil that treated my strep throat for the first time in my life without antibiotics. And something happened for me. I became much more awake, curious, uh, empowered, like immediately. And I said to myself, wow, if this plant, oregano, can do this thing, I wonder what these other plants might be able to do. Plants like celery, cucumber, <laughs> you know, kale, lettuces, carrots, um, all the squashes, all the, the entire vegetable world where, of course, is one of the major places that we get all of our minerals from, which we have to have to have a healthy system. So I started to learn and I empowered myself through healing myself with good advice. And I, you know, before that, I would have just been, yeah, I have to do what the doctor tells me to do because they're authorities and I don't know any better. And that's, that's the voice of somebody who is completely disempowered in the way they approach their own health. So I became more conscious right there in that moment. My yoga practice, moving the body, feeling the way that certain parts of my body are stretching, feeling the tightness or stuckness in certain areas of my body and working on that because I just want a flow through this body, of, uh, an even flow of energy, healthy. I wanna be able to receive and to give, and I don't wanna hang on to anything that, that like an exhale, for example, I wanna be able to exhale, mm. you know? And I, I, I want to, I wanna have a flow of energy of chi or prana through this body because it feels good. It feels like health. It feels like I'm more capable. It feels like I'm more mentally clear. It's a really, really good thing. And so with every yoga practice, I become a little bit more conscious than I was before of something. And new possibilities present themselves. Just like every day I'm sober, new possibilities present themselves. And I'm in this thing called life and I'm aware and I'm asking the right questions. Whereas people that you're describing who are not as aware or they're not, well, it'd, be, it'd be more accurate to put it this way. People are focused on certain things. It's not necessarily right or wrong but it's what brings you to the fullest bloom of your life. What can bring you to your fullest potential? What can bring you the greatest amount of joy and, and connection? So if I'm focused on money and career and that's all I'm focused on, if I'm good at what I do and I have good business principles, I might make a lot of money. 
But if I lose my physical health, that money won't do anything for me. Sure, you could say, well, you could get around the right doctors and you can have these special treatments. And I'm like, well, but still, if you lose your physical health, we know that money can't buy that. So if your relationships are terrible, your relationships with your parents, your relationships with your children, your sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, colleagues, family, everybody. If your relationships are not in order, this life sucks. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. And, and money, money can't you know, fix those relationships. So we must adopt a path of ever increasing awareness. We call it the path of discovery. It's a decision. I'm going to live life and I'm going to learn from the challenges of my life. I'm going to enjoy the joys of my life. I'm going to serve and help other people to do the same. That's it. That's Recovery 2.0. That's it. That's beautiful. Our prayer says, thank you for the joys and challenges of our lives. And we mean that whenever we say that. So if someone says, I want to, I want to participate in Recovery 2.0. How do they do that? So many ways. Yeah, exactly. Number one, uh, read the book Recovery 2.0. Go on to our YouTube channel. There are dozens and dozens of videos there that are so helpful. Yoga classes, meditation classes, lectures on recovery and on the pitfalls, um, how how to have the most success on the life of recovery, all of it, and it's all free. Also, we have over 33 it's 33 and growing live Zoom meetings a week. These are recovery wow. meetings, free, open to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Wow. And so every week, all of this is free. And then we have our paid services. You can join our membership. It's very reasonable. And we get together on Mondays and Thursdays. And we have access to a library that other people don't have access to. And you can also join me for like in October, we have the food reset every year. It's a four week journey into resetting your relationship with food. And we do that right before the holidays every year. And it's so powerful. I I team up with an amazing naturopathic physician, Dr. Nick Jensen. uh, And he and I present this program together in, in October. And then December and January every year, we do the eight week awakening which is just a total awakening for life, awakening into the joy and wonder of existence itself. That's also digital? That's all, that's, those are live programs that we offer online. Mm-hmm. So I'm present, presenting live and our guest presenters are presenting live through December and January for the eight week awakening every year. So that has a, a cost to it. The food reset has a cost to it. And our, um, our uh, membership has a, has a nominal cost to it as well. Then there's, um, we just released a program called Life Beyond Cannabis Mm. because so many people are are smoking pot and having, starting to realize that there's like, first of all, it's addictive and and it's got got problems related to it. And and a lot of people are coming to realize like, wow, this is getting in the way of my life and I can't stop. So we've created a new online course that people can buy anytime called Life Beyond Cannabis. And it's very, very powerful. And I highly recommend it for anybody who's struggling um, with cannabis in, in any way. And th- that's Recovery 2.0. You know, we, we, we take people on retreats all over the world every year also. 
That's so exciting. Yeah. So we have our, our annual Thanksgiving retreat to Costa Rica. We go to one of the most incredible places for American Thanksgiving every year. This year, it's November 18th to the 25th. So we take about between 50 and 100 people with us every year. And then we have a major trip to India in March every year. And I highly recommend it's two weeks, that, that trip. And, and then we do retreats and, and workshops all over the U.S. and Canada, Mexico uh, and Europe. Um, every year as well. So I'm a busy guy. Yes. And I love to teach. I love to present. And I love to, um, I love to build this, this global community that we have called Recovery 2.0. Do you recommend, let's say someone is um, early on in their recovery or they're just getting to the point where they want to um, be sober? Like, is anyone allowed on your um, retreats? Like, what's the... With regards to the retreats, um, you have to have, like for Costa Rica, for example, you have to be a minimum of 30 days sober. Okay. For India, you really need to be more like three or six months sober Mm -hmm. because that's, we just have to be careful to make sure that a person is mentally and emotionally ready and safe. And we create an incredible container of, of all the people who are coming and the people, by the way, are, are utterly dedicated to living their best life. And so it's an amazing, it's an amazing group of people to get around. And you can learn everything about all that we do at r20.com. That's just the letter, the letter R, the number 20.com. One more thing. We have uh, an award-winning podcast called In the Circle. And In the Circle is everywhere you would see podcasts, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. And um, we're in week 28 or 29 now, and uh, it's just going like gangbusters. People are like, where has this been? You know? Oh, my gosh. So come and, come and uh, follow uh, our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you, you ingest your podcast each week, and it's pretty cool. That's really exciting. Thank you. And what do you um, – just, you know, before we leave each other – I want to ask you what advice you have with those that are currently struggling and what can they do right now to start their recovery? I know, um, you know, you mentioned you offer all of these wonderful programs. Do you recommend they, obviously they do it alongside, like, what do you recommend? Okay. So first thing I want anybody who's considering the idea that maybe they need to be sober. I want, I want to, I want to end that, that's that mental struggle for you. If you're thinking the thought, I wonder what my life would be if I wasn't using this or using that, then the answer is you have to experience that. If you're thinking the thought, maybe I have a problem with this. It doesn't matter if you have a problem with it, just that you're thinking the thought means you have to experience life without it, whatever that substance or that behavior is. So if you're having these thoughts, surrender to the thought and let the thing go and get yourself onto a path of recovery as soon as you possibly can. Come to one of our meetings online. They're free to attend and they're, they happen, you know, there's six or seven a day. Um, read the book Recovery 2.0. Get involved in a 12-step group if you'd like, or you can get involved with the 12 steps through Recovery 2.0. Get a sponsor and work through those steps and your life will change. 
in terms of the yoga and the meditation and stuff, if you're just starting to get sober and you don't already have a yoga practice, it'll come. It'll come little by little. But first, your job is to go to bed tonight without using drugs or alcohol. That's your job. Do that. <laughs> and do that for a number of successive days and tell your friends and family what you're doing. I'm stopping drinking. I'm letting go of cannabis. I've had enough. I want to feel what it feels like to live this life without those things. And come and visit us at Recovery 2.0 and we'll receive you with open arms and support you in this, in this early stage of your recovery. There's so, so much here for you. And seriously, listen to the podcast In the Circle with Tommy Rosen. There's so much information there for you. And go to our YouTube channel. So this is all free. These are all free resources. There's no barrier to entry here. If you want to go a little deeper, you can, you can join our membership. It costs like less than 50 cents a day. So just come and be with us. You know, it's, it's like, it's, um, it's all here for the person who's interested. So, so come, come and join us. Thank you so much, Tommy. And thank you for offering so much and making it accessible. That's amazing. And it's so beautiful to be with you today. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Nikki. I'm so grateful. And thank you for your work in the world. Keep going. <laughs>